Dave. Cheerio. Cheerio. We're back. Bums me out that I went right to Cheerio. I mean, I feel like what else would we go to? What else would we go to? It's just bittersweet because we're both grieving the end of our London trip. Oh, my God. It was so much fun. We were at the London Podcast Festival. We sure were. And we were we were, we were on very different London uh, journeys. We absolutely we were, were. I was uh, running all around the country seeing friends. I had Ben with me. Mm-hmm. We, we were just two young queers on the run. Uh, you I was had on a family full intel. Family trip. We all rented an Airbnb together, had my mom and my birth mom and yeah. her husband and my best friend Marari. Marari is the queen. You I got to so much. Uh, share the dance floor with Marari at Ducky. Yes. Uh, finally got to Ducky with you. Yes. I'm so excited that finally happened. The only drawback is that we never stopped dancing long enough to like talk. Oh yeah, there I was have questions for her that I never got to ask. It didn't need to. You got to know each other in a whole different way, in a, in a much more intimate way. I would say. Right. Uh, so you finally hit Ducky. Everything I wanted it to be and more. Great. I I'm will so say, you know, I, I, you know, it was, uh, it was late. Our show is at nine thirty. We're going yeah. out after. Uh, this is not how I roll. I, you know, birth mom is leaving the next morning. I said, Marari, we're just going to like have one drink and like sort of half dance through a song. And just so, because I can't, I can't bail on Dave again. I did it last year. And then it just, it got me. There's magic in the air. There is magic in the air. And yeah, I couldn't, I, we could not be removed from that dance floor once we got onto it. No, there was a time at about 2 AM where we said, this is it. And then, uh, uh, it, new radicals, you get what you give came on. Uh-huh. And I was like, well, no, I guess we're, I guess we're in this. There's a time, that's maybe my fifth time there. From my first, from the second one on, every time I go, I, I bring somebody new. Mm-hmm. And like I brought Ben and, and, uh, and each time it's like, have I over, like when I walk in, I think, have I oversold this? Because uh-huh. it, it is a little scruffy. It doesn't remind you of, you know, you do walk in and go, oh, this is it? Yeah. It's really not about the visuals. Of it's nice. It's not. And each time I'm like, is this the one where I'm like, well, this one wasn't so good. Sorry. But something happens. Something happens uh-huh. right around midnight. Yeah. There's some there's some magic dust in the air. That sounds like drugs. It's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but something happens. A, a corner is turned. And then it's 4 a.m. And, and then you're, you're sad that it's over. Yeah. You're soaked to the bone with sweat from dancing. Yeah. Uh, it's my spiritual home, and I love it, and I'm so happy you were there. Do you remember me, getting, Derek and I getting up on the stage? I absolutely do. Yeah. Uh, Derek, our, our uh, token hetero friend mm-hmm. in the group, yeah. I kept, for whatever reason, encouraging him to go take the stage. Yeah. And I don't know why. I just felt like he needed it, and he was like, I'm not— I think you I think you want that for yourself. Yeah. And you're trying to project it onto me. And I was like, you know what? Let's go together. Yeah. And you did it. Yeah. You did it. And it was beautiful. Felt great. Oh God. Uh the readers' wives are the DJs at uh, at Ducky. They they build up to uh, the greatest record ever recorded or something. I'm, I'm always a little drunk by the time they announce it, but it's like our uh-huh. favorite song of all time or the greatest song in the history of the world or whatever. And it's different every time. This time it was a total eclipse of the heart. Oh, of And course. just shoulder to shoulder, dance floor full of uh, queers and their allies, oh. just bellowing Bonnie Tyler. Yes. It really felt like I was home. I really felt like I was home. We had Brian Boylan with us. Yes, we he did. He also stayed till the bitter end. Oh, it was fantastic. Uh, so the rest of the trip good? 
Rest of the trip, great. You know, it was it was very it was all all sort of united in the effort of giving my mom the trip of a lifetime. She's she'd a never been to London. Joy, I love her. She loved you. Uh, both moms very starstruck, good, starry eyed by oh, Dave Holmes. Weird, but that's nice. Um, we did every. We saw Linda. Uh, Linda. I almost said Linda the musical. Tina the musical. <laughs> Linda, the Tina Turner musical. Linda the <laughs> Tina Turner musical. <laughs> uh, we saw Alvin Ailey. We saw Midsummer Night's Dream at the Globe. Um, went to the went to the Tate. Did that did too. Everything. Love um, yeah, uh, trip of a lifetime. We spent some uh, some time in London. Went up to Leeds overnight, which was lovely. I had never been to the north. Yeah, it was, no, uh, it's a beautiful city. And then ten minutes outside, you're in the countryside with like sheep and cows and shit. Wow. Uh, and then came back. And our our la- I don't know if I told you this, but our last Airbnb. Did I tell you this? Yes, fully a council flat. Yeah, like it was. Def- we were definitely in. The London projects. You're having a very authentic London experience. A very authentic experience, and it was it was a uh, a flat a council flat mm-hmm. that I think has been bought as part of a network of Airbnbs, mm-hmm. um, and it was ju- it just happened to be the cheapest one, and it was right where we wanted to stay. It was in East London, and we got there, and it was like. There, there was a cleaning lady cleaning, and then the owner, quote unquote, was there, and and you know when you go in, and it's all brand new IKEA furniture, and there's nothing anywhere. But it was clean and it was nice, and we went and put our stuff down. And I said to the owner, "Oh, a nice place." And he said, "You know, yeah, it suits me." Like, dude, there is not a belonging in this place. There is no uh, art on the walls. Right. There is not a sock in a, sh- in a drawer. Like, no come one on. resides here. Nobody lives. Why are you bullshitting me? Who yeah. cares? Uh, but it was it was absolutely great. On the flight home, uh, watched Long Shot. Thumbs up. Oh, yes. Loved long shot. Uh, late night. Thumbs down. Yes, I enjoyed late night. Oh, my God. I, I really I'm a sucker. Not did you, not huh? uh, enjoy it. No. It was. It seemed to me to be very Studio 60. You know what I mean? It was uh, like a movie about uh, comedy people where nobody's ever funny uh, at all. God, yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, yeah, I didn't love it. It was kind of fascinatingly not for me. Yeah, you know, I think Michael put it best where it was like, sometimes I just need like content where it's like a woman is walking down the street in New York and she's got a new job and she's excited. And like, that's all, you know what I mean? That's that's where the bar is set for me. I love Mindy and I love Emma Thompson, obviously. Of course. Um, But it was one of those where like it highlights the problem of art within art where it's like she's supposed to be this incredible comedian, but she's she gets out on stage and says things that aren't particularly funny. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's Ike Barinholtz, and he's doing his special, which everyone is in a bar watching quietly, which would never happen. And he <laughs> says happens. sort of boilerplate, like, broy stand-up stuff, stuff. And everyone's like, laughing! Yeah. Like, that's not – that is not at that all is how not, That's not works. what we do when, like, uh, you know, the new Aziz special drops. No, no. Yeah, we don't – yeah, anyway. Um, uh, but you know what I have seen recently that is incredible? Tell I'm just – preaching this to anyone who will listen is uh, couples therapy on showtime oh it is so it goddamn good yeah. it is uh it has nothing to do with the podcast uh what is the the pod, the couples therapy podcast with oh, esther perel, esther perel. where called? do we begin where do we begin but very similar vibe it's you know it's not a re- it's a documentary series and it's right. shot documentary style gorgeous you know cinematography and a couples therapist who 
much like Esther Perel, you're like, I want to be you. I want you to be my therapist. I want you to be my friend. I want, every, yeah. right? I just need to be close to you. That's how you feel about Orna, who's a therapist in this. Uh-huh. It is just the best thing I've seen forever. Consumed all, all nine episodes in one sitting. Wow. Um, so that's my recommendation. Beautiful. At the moment. I downloaded Pluto TV to watch uh, Bajillion Dollar Properties oh, because yeah. that's where it lives now. That is my recommendation because it is so good. Season four is hilarious. Yes. Uh, but also because of Pluto TV, I have Buzzer. Buzzer. B-U-Z-Z-R, uh, which is a Pluto TV at, uh, station. And I guess it exists in other places too. Mm-hmm. But it's all 70s and 80s game shows. Oh, God. That so, is- I mean, that's- that they were they, they, in the meeting. They said, "Well, will anyone want to see this?" Well, Dave Holmes. Oh, you've got an audience made for me. So you got Supermarket Sweep. You got uh, you got Family Feud. You got Press Your Luck. You got uh, you know Password, Password Plus, Super Password, yeah. all of it. God. Uh, and, oh, and all the various match games. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. This is big. Yeah. So that's what I'm binging right now. I'm binging Match Game 76. Um, another great piece of content is. is the film Before You Know It. Oh, yes. Uh, which is, you know, coming to theaters near you, depending on where you live, soonish. ish uh, And today we have the writers, Hannah Perlott and Jen Tullock, who also star in the film. Hannah also directed the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some other people in it that you might be interested in, uh, like, you know, your Judith Lights, Ooh. your Mandy Patinkins. Come on now. Uh, and it's just a delightful New York um, family uh, comedy. And and they are delightful. And you were out of town. I was So I had town. to go solo on this one. Uh-huh. You can do it. And uh, yeah, without further ado, here's Hannah and Jen. Hannah and Jen, hello. Good morning. Will Hannah. you both say who you are so so the listeners know who's who? Yes, I'm Hannah. And I'm Jen. <laughs> oh, see, Jen, we talked about this, that you weren't <laughs> going to do your fancy voiceover Listen, voice. I always try to come in with a rich baritone, but she came in with it first, so I had to... I had to take it a notch down. Uh, well, I'm sorry to make you repeat yourself, but can you tell the listeners about when you your beef with Meryl Streep? <laughs> Listen, I don't know who doesn't already know this because people read the trades. Yeah. No, we were joking about, um, I used to record a lot of audiobooks. And um, one year I won an audiobook award. And I only found this out because my father called me and was like, Jen, uh, you beat Meryl Streep. Whoa. And I was like, and what? <laughs> Again? <laughs> he said the, the Publishers Weekly Listen Up Awards is you and Meryl and a couple of the famous people. So so you beat Meryl. Wow. You could say that. And I was like, you know, I don't I don't think that you can say that. You can't say that. Uh, it's an can. audiobook, but we've been saying it. And so needless to say, that. I have had to go out of my way to avoid her at events because oh. I'm, the tension is teeming. It's so uncomfortable. <laughs> um, Wow. Well, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having us. And um, I love the film so much. As I was telling you, I got to watch it this morning <laughs> as I made my smoothie and fed Faye her breakfast. It was such a nice way to start the day. I really think that's the best way to watch it. 
Yeah, there are very few more like good morning movies. Uh huh. This yeah. is also a great evening movie. Yeah, it's great. It's great like at night. But I feel like Mail and our movie are really good morning movies. I agree. Yeah, I found Hateful Eight to be great in the morning too. Oh, but. really? That's mm-hmm. a tough. Saving Private Ryan. That's a wild wake up. <laughs> um. So, what's the? Can you tell the origin story of your relationship and how it came to be? Hmm. Do, do you want to take this one? You want to start ahead us and off? Take it, sweetie. Way, uh, Hannah and I lived in New York many years ago, and we were young and both acting, but we're also storytellers and working in some bizarre other sub-mediums. We were both raised in kind of strange French communities. She was raised by pagan hippies in Southern California and was, quote, unschooled and was really into weaving and making fairy houses. And I was raised by evangelicals in Kentucky um, and sang in my parents' worship band in a megachurch. So... So the chasm between the two was quite wide. Neither of us were really integrated into normal society until our teens. Mm -hmm. Um, And as such, found a bond early on because we were just really fucking weird. We had similar senses of humor Humor. and ways of coping. um, Yeah. And I think just figuring um, out common knowledge that we should have had a long time ago. (laughs) Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So Wikipedia was getting big. A fresh combo of nostalgia and like abject sadness. (laughs) Um, is how we make each other laugh. But she didn't know I was gay, and she thought I was hitting on her friend's boyfriend at a party. Uh. That was our first interaction. And she thought the guy was a douche and that I had bad taste in addition to being a— Yeah, that was the real issue. It was was less about her being shady and more about her having really bad taste in men. Yeah, like aim aim a little higher. And Uh then I was like, and here's my girlfriend, (laughs) and Tim, you feel stupid. (laughs) (laughs) But we became friends after that, and we worked at a restaurant together. Mm -hmm. And— Knew at that time, I think, that we wanted to work in the film and TV world, but weren't quite sure how. We were both working here and there as actors, starting to write, but not really anything solid. I was making weird radio plays. Hannah was making, like, brilliant, strange feminist puppet shows. And a short film. And a short film. A very sad short film. Hmm. Was that then? Yeah. The timeline is murky. We were drinking quite a bit. But we... (laughs) Started writing this, the script, a version of the script for this film, all those years ago. So it's kind of grown in tandem with us, where yeah. we've made several things since then. Mm-hmm. But this has gone. I said, I think yesterday that it was kind of like retailing the same pair of pants for a decade, yeah. because we were, we wanted to hold on to it, but knew that it had to keep evolving with how we were evolving as people. And uh, it's such a dream cast. How did the, I mean, Mandy Patinkin and Judith Light and on and both of you. Um, how did that <laughs> come together? <laughs> um, Judith, we met at the Sundance Labs. Mm-hmm. So we did the director's labs um, and Jen came out to act in the scenes with me. So we acted in the scenes while uh, I was directing them and workshopping them that way, since that's what we were going to do in the movie. And um, they give you a casting director. So mm-hmm. Edie Belasco was the casting director I was assigned, and she did Transparent and I Love Dick. Um, and so Judith was on her list, and without even thinking about whether or not she'd be right for the part, I was like, that one, I, yeah, I, I yeah, want to work yeah, with yeah. that one. Um, and she had just heard about the labs from somebody else, someone had just told her that she should get involved with them. And so it was a, it was the right timing. And then when she showed up, she, the labs are, they can be 
like brutalizing their fellows is sort of mm-hmm. part of it in a really loving way, but everyone hits a rock bottom at a certain point. <laughs> and luckily, mine happened very early. Mine was um, more of a sustained rock bottom from start to finish. That's true. I didn't. I didn't really hit so much as I did slide. You, you were just hanging out there in case decorated I it went yes. down again right. to pad my fall. <laughs> um, but I had had. I had had a particularly traumatic day in the edit. They only give you one day to edit your scenes. Mm. So you shoot a five-page scene in a day um, with limited gear and small crews in mountain homes. And then you get a day to edit, and then you screen it for a group of your heroes. You screen it for, like, Bob Ellswit and Mr. Redford and... um, who are some other fun ones we had? Ed Harris, Ken Kawapas. Karn Kusama. Karn Kusama. Oh so it's really nerve-wracking. Yeah. Um, and I like to luxuriate in the edit. I like to take my time. Um, and so that day I would gotten, it was the first day I would gotten yanked out of the edit because they just, that's it. When you're done, you're done. Um, or when your time is up. And it was the day that Judith was coming. I was supposed to have dinner with her in the dining hall. And I called Jen on the one rock that had service, I could uh. see her from the rock in the dining hall waiting for me. <laughs> and I was like, stall, stall. <laughs> um, cried for like 15 minutes, got my shit together, went into the dining hall and was like, Judith, it's so lovely. And she goes, oh, honey, what happened to you? Oh, God. Um, and then just it held my hand for the rest of the night and was like, who cares? Who cares what happens in that screening? This is about you. We're here to make this better and to help you find your vision. And that was kind of how she approached the whole process. Um, <laughs> was so smart about her part that she she changed that part of the script quite a bit, our work with her. Oh, wow. And then Mandy. You want to talk about Mandy? Sure. We, <laughs> we love Mandy. I mean, he came in. The 11th hour, really, it was kind of miraculous because the character of Mel, mm-hmm. Mandy's character, uh, had been dead for most of the iterations of the script. Um, his absence was the thing we were trying to make work in contrast of Judith's character. Mm-hmm. And in the end, after the labs, really towards one of the final rewrites, it became apparent that he needed to be alive in order to have as... Um, Strong impactful yeah. and a, yeah and of an effect on the girls so he we kind of back channeled the script to him through a series of powerful Hollywood women <laughs> and uh, who very kindly pushed it to him as quickly as they could and he he liked the script and then a day later we were at his upstate home having lunch with he and his wife and he was showing us the original score from Sunday in the Park with George oh and God. I was peeing right through my depends. Are you musical theater heads? <laughs> oh, <sighs> yeah. I w- I'm not going to say I'm a musical theater nerd, but I will tell you that I used to cry myself to sleep listening to Mandy Patinkin sing oh. on my 2XL robot cassette recorder. <laughs> oh, my God. C- cr- like cuddling the robot because um, there was no other love in my life. But <laughs> I told him that. I was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not. That's so gauche. I'm not going to say it. And we got all of five minutes in of talking into his beautiful, like, vulnerable eyes. And I was like, yeah. you've meant so much to me since I was four years old. And he was really kind. And then Alec had been attached from earlier years. So Mallory Schwartz, one of our producers, um, 
had worked as his assistant for years and then became his producing partner. And she had made something that Hannah was in that Alex saw and really liked. And it asked if Hannah had anything in the pipeline that they could work on together. And uh, they very smartly sort of wrangled him over to this project. Nice. And he was like, great. So slap my name on it. I'll do it. Let me know when to show up, <laughs> essentially. Basically. And then did. But then also up. had really great ideas about Peter. Mm-hmm. When we gave him that last draft, he was the one who thought Peter should be a little bit OCD. Mm-hmm. We're like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, They all did. All three of those actors, I think, weren't just generous in how they, how they made themselves emotionally available. They really came having done a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Judith especially. I mean, at the lab's... She helped us figure out who that character was. I think we had been coming from a place of judgment because mm. um, it's a tricky character. You know, she's done a terrible thing. Yeah. And Judith found in her such humanity and um, um, hubris that yeah. it, it. we saw her for the first time. And we were like, oh, okay, great. Thank you for whipping the veil off of this person. Yeah, it's impossible not to love a Judith-like character, <laughs> kind of no matter what she's mm-hmm. done. Yeah. Um, and because daytime soaps play such a prominent role in the story, I'm curious if you, either of you are soap fans. We're not soap fans. No. Um, I wasn't allowed to watch them growing up because they were I also not in line with wasn't Jesus. wasn't allowed to watch TV. Um, yeah, so. I need TV. <laughs> yeah. Again, Unless it was rented weaving. from the we library. We both did a lot of weaving and a lot of crafts <laughs> and a lot of praying. Um but one of our best friends was on Days of Our Lives for a couple of years. So I did get to visit him on set and attend some of those daytime Emmy events. That's the and most important one. That's the one that I, that was my church. That oh, I oh really? <laughs> what, well, who, who did I your friend play? You. He played, Nick. Um, he played Nick, sorry, on the show. But then uh-huh. in the movie, he was Bront, the soap star that I need. Oh, oh, he is in, oh, great. And he's yeah. actually American and not the color orange in real life. <laughs> He's Nick Fallon, the cousin who starts nerdy and then winds up in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, starts nerdy and winds up in prison is a pretty great tagline. It's a classic, classic uh, hero's journey. Yeah. I think his introdu- <laughs> introduction is like a trip on the stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, but Hannah, you were saying before we started that you are a, a young adult soap fan or what What am I? Oh, Jen, Jen was saying. I'm really uh, going to get it for this. Uh, what, what did you say that I like to objectify? You like to objectify <laughs> yeah. hot teens and YA series. Oh, that's what I'm talking. Yeah, who, who are you objectifying? <laughs> I don't like to. She doesn't. She doesn't at all. She's not. She's a respectful and, and legal adult. Uh-huh. Um, As are most of the actors playing. Yes, the yes. So thank God. you're that you're pretty much in the clear. <clears throat> but I'm curious who in particular you're objectifying. Um, yeah, well, who were you referring to? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I don't either. I think I was having a stroke. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe we'll just leave that one alone. Yeah, what? Uh, I, I actually don't know what I've seen lately with young folk that I really love. Jen's a big Euphoria fan. I, I haven't sure watched am. enough of it. Uh, yeah, I've only That's seen That's how this came up. We were talking oh, about right. Euphoria. Because you saw... Hannah ran into Hunter Schaefer, who plays Jules, who is an incredible actress. Who I did objectify in person, but not I haven't on the show. Okay. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) I like to be held accountable for my actions. Sorry, everybody. Uh, If you've ever seen a publicist in a tech booth sweating profusely. (laughs) Um, What are you watching, if not 
sexy YA teen soaps. Well, I did really enjoy Euphoria. I um, When They See Us is incredible and uh, ruined my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, just beautiful. I think the best film I saw last year that I've since gone back and watched again was Border. Oh, Border. Mm-hmm. Border so- is essentially a Nordic myth. Um, I won't say anything else because it'll give too much of the plot away, but it is one of the most perfectly made films I've ever seen. It's mm. about love and it's identity. It's about love. And it's... <laughs> and otherness. Stunning. Mm. Yeah. Um, um, some might even say a queer allegory. Oh, I need it. Some. Some. Hannah wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and what films came up when you were... Um, when you were pitching this and writing it as, you know, references and inspiration? Uh, Tootsie was a big one. Mm-hmm. Love Tootsie. Of course. Soap dish. Soap dish. But also maybe less literally those films, the filmmakers that we both loved, which was one of our first points of connection. We both love Mike Lee films. Yeah. Um, the idea of uh, being able to take a premise as big as the one in Tootsie, mm-hmm. but ground it with characters as nuanced as Mike Lee's, Mike Lee's was the dream. Yeah, if Mike Lee yeah. made Tootsie, that's right. Yeah. I, I see it. I see it. I wouldn't have been able to articulate it myself, but I think you nailed it. Thanks. Good job. Um, <laughs> I know I've been watching things. I've been going to a lot of film festivals this summer. Yeah. So I've been spending a lot of time on planes and stressing out about when I'm going to be able to make my next movie. Um, So I've been writing a lot and staring at my computer a lot when I probably should just be watching things. But I've been able to watch some classics that I have never seen before on airplanes. The Shawshank Redemption. Woo! It's true. It's a perfect film. Yeah? Yeah, it is. It's, um, yeah. The hype is real. <laughs> I've never seen it, but I'll, I'll take your word on it. Yeah, it's pretty um, it's pretty spectacular. Uh, other ones I recently... I rewatched All About Eve. Mm. Another exceptional film. One of the films I grew up on. That one you were allowed to watch. Uh, informed the cadence of how I spoke for, through my teen <laughs> years. My oh, parents God. were like, you can't talk like that. Your people are going to... Kill you. So I'd be like, hello, everyone. It, didn't, it was not cute. Being like a little gay woman that didn't know how to express my queerness, I I only, uh, I was only drawn to, to old, like Noel Coward era gay male culture. Uh-huh. So like pageantry and theatrics and what I thought was like a sassy sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, needless to say, I didn't lose my virginity until I was 46, but... Uh, <laughs> That's that is, when you peaked. <clears throat> that's how I met you. That's that. I was still in that phase. Well, I was singing. I was singing jazz music at the time, and I thought that I was just part of the veneer. But that's also kind of who I am. It's true. <laughs> it's true. It's not an affectation anymore. I mean, it's as it's as ingrained in me as um, as my like hillbilly side. You know, I'm from Kentucky, so. Hmm. I'm about 30 miles north of southern Ohio, so oh, where? you get it. It's called Waverly. <clears throat> okay. Right above Portsmouth. Okay, cool. Um, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Hannah and Jen.
we're back with Hannah and Jen. Hello. You're welcome. Um, so, <laughs> where are you both at relationship-wise, Jen? I'm seeing someone. Okay. I'm, I'm in a relationship. I don't know why I said it like it was 1963. Well, also seeing someone implies someone. a newer, like... Um, it's newish, yeah. It's no, it, it has not entered serious relationship phase. No, it's deep and serious relationship phase. I'm going to let Hannah describe it so I don't get in trouble. Yeah, okay, so Hannah, She's how serious is Jen's relationship? Very much in love That's with true. a wonderful woman. That's also true. Whose name I won't say? Yeah. Um, who she actually met through this movie, um, through... Okay, it's Judith Light. <laughs> I was good. I knew it. <laughs> no, I, I met this person at Sundance, and uh, and it was really, uh, oh, I'm blushing. It was really sweet and, and romantic and great. It was someone that I had met before a long time ago and didn't think I would see again. Um, and we had a little Sundance romance. Wow. Yeah. How long has it been? I think six months, five months, six months. When was Sundance? January. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Eight, nine, eight months. Kind eight of. Months it was a, we had a nebulous beginning. Sure. It's been eight months since the movie premiered. Yeah. And I'm still not rich. <laughs> Just and I'm still attractive. <laughs> That's because it hasn't officially premiered yet. Once it does. Yeah. I don't know that. Then you're rich immediately rich. That's how that works. Happen, but yeah. In the indie film world, <laughs> I've been told. Uh, and what about you, Hannah? I'm also in a relationship mm-hmm. um, with a wonderful man named Victor. Okay. We live together, and um, and we do just about everything else together. How long has it been? We have been together uh, almost two years. It'll be two years in October. Wow. Yeah. And do you are you do you identify as straight? I mean, is that the, the I, chosen label? Um, Historically, have been in relationships with men, um, but I, I was like ready to just be with women right before I met Victor. Uh, You're like, all right, I'll try it one more time. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I'd had, um, oh, God, this is personal, eh? Um, I'd had a queer experience that was very meaningful, and. Um, and you know, was was ready to just kind of go down that path, and um, and then I met Victor and and fell in love with him. So, so I'm still just a lame old straight person. Oh, God, how embarrassing! It's, okay. it's embarrassing. At least you have Jen to balance to it out. We need to have some. Yeah, we need to have some. Otherwise, we'd all be this cool. Um, <laughs> and what is your coming out story? Probably easy breezy, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. An evangelical family from Kentucky. Super fun for me. I knew I I was gay when I was like four and um, prayed fervently to have it taken away from me. And, you know, all of those sort of drastic and really depressing tableaus of queer youth in the evangelical world, like Mm -hmm. banging my head against the wall so I wouldn't think about girls in my class and oh my God. Um, like praying so hard that I would weep in the fetal position because um, it was terrifying. You know, I was terrified that I wouldn't, the, the, the already conditional love I was receiving in my community, I knew would potentially be taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, that did not, ha- I was not the case with my parents. They were very loving. I came out to them when I was 18. So I went to 
Well, I came out when I was 18, rather. I came out to my brother and my grandparents. I didn't have such a great relationship with my parents. Um, and so they were less in my life at that time. They lived in another country. And when I came out to the rest of my fam, everybody was super cool. My brother, who's actually the composer of our film, is one of my best friends. And he knew before I did. I mean, he was like, yeah, of course, duh. <laughs> um, and my grandparents were super cool. It was more people outside of my family in that than that church community. So when I was 17, I went on a Christian mission trip to Ethiopia mm-hmm. um, and did part of my junior year there. And I ended up developing really intense and for the first time overtly romantic and, and lustful feelings for my translator, the woman who was my translator, an Ethiopian woman. And that was the point where it stopped being a sort of abstract threat. And I realized that it was a truth in my life. And so I came back from that trip and it was completely unrequited, I should say. Hmm. Um, But I knew what I was experiencing. So I came back, ran to college and came out immediately, had my first girlfriend. And I told my parents when I was 21, um, they came and saw me in a production of the Laramie Project, and I thought that was a great time. Yep, no time <laughs> right. like I took now. them to a steak and shake afterwards <laughs> in Decatur, Illinois. It was an incredibly romantic affair. And, uh, you know, it, it was tough for them. I think they were taken by surprise. I think their reaction was the sort of standard, tepid, we don't want you to have a hard life. Yeah. Um, but then they subsequently did a lot of work on themselves to show up for me in that way. Um we have a complicated relationship for other reasons, but they have never made me feel like I would lose their love because of my identity, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's really special. But yeah, being being gay in Kentucky, when I was growing up, that just wasn't an option. There were maybe a few gay men around, um, but everything was pretty much catered to that. So I did community theater and stuff. So that to me, was what queer was. Mm-hmm. Hence that terrible Mae West voice. <laughs> um, no one ever wants that to maybe hear. may have led to your uh, award-winning audiobook. Yes. Voice. That may have helped lead to the movie, which helped lead to me meeting the person that I love. So, yeah. you know, in the end, one concentric circle of serendipity. <laughs> um, and did coming out directly, w- w- what happened with you and your relationship to the church? I was already leaving the church. I had sort of um, my process of deconversion was sort of a a backslide down a chocolate mountain. It was like, I'm leaving. <laughs> like there was never, there wasn't a grand exit or yeah, a moment yeah. where I renounced. I think it was more that I had started questioning the strictures of the religion itself before, unrelated to my sexuality. Um, just I had a philosophical problem with what the things that, that religion was espousing, and I didn't want to be uh, associated with it anymore. And then it just made it easier when I came out because right. it was like, well, that's obviously going to be the nail in the coffin, which is a real mindfuck now to go back to my hometown and even meet people who identify as Christians who are a little bit younger than me that have since evolved into a more inclusive version of Christianity. Mm-hmm. I'm making a film about that right now, actually, because I think we have a lot of gay people saving themselves and leaving the church narratives where we sort of canonize them and make them a hero and never really examine the the nuance of what it actually looks like to leave your entire community. Mm-hmm. We just celebrate the fact that they've gone and that's it. Yeah, and um, fuck the people. Yeah, and fuck those people. They're and... all evil. And that's just not the case because people are complex. And so when I'm confronted now with, with people in my hometown that have, you know, cool, like, 
queer inclusive church services, it really fucks me up. Yeah. Because that was one of the most defining moments of my life was losing my faith. And I had to grieve it like a death. Yeah. I, I grieved it like losing my best friend. And now it was like that friend had been resurrected and was going to the mall with these other people that still got to, <laughs> you know. So So is something else taken its place? Many things have tried to take its place. I mean, I would be lying if I said I haven't spent my entire adult life chasing the sense of ecstasy and and hyperbolic um, joy and rapture You're, I experienced during uh, worship and, and like fervent prayer. I think that's partially psychosomatic. I was young and, you know, the brilliance of I think the way evangelical Christianity targets teenagers is you get them when you're, their hormones are teeming and they're already exhausted and uh, feeling alone. And then you tell them that the creator of the universe loves them unconditionally as long as they do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And then you encourage them to, to jump up and down and cry hysterically. And of course, they're going to be like, yeah, that sounds awesome. So I think that coming from a place where sincerity was the baseline, yeah. there was no sense of irony. There was no sense of bitterness. Um, everything was really focused on freedom and joy in theory. Um, yes, I have, I spent a lot of time in my twenties drinking about it and, you know, sleeping with people about it and mm. all of the bad cliches. They're true. You know, like yoga. trying you to yoga chase serotonin, not in my twenties. At that time I was, yeah, just like chasing dopamine. Now, yes, I do yoga and go to therapy and take care of myself and meditate and, philosophize with my friends it's a slightly healthier approach but and and i still pray i think um i had to sort of like come out as a person of faith again um i don't consider myself a christian by any means but i have a really nebulous um open line to something still Mm -hmm. that i've allowed myself again my we have a friend named clara who's um a scientist and also a (laughs) A filmmaker, and it's just like an incredibly erudite, cool person who was raised by atheist intellectuals. And she recently um, took me to a bar and told me she had to tell me something. And I was so concerned. And she came out to me as a theist. A theist? Yeah, she was like, I'm a theist. I believe in God. And I was like, that's incredible. Good for you. That is absolutely your right. But the fact that she had to frame it that way was really interesting to me. Anyway, I've really... I've gone down a crazy bath, but wow! Yeah. I love having to come out as a theist. That's <laughs> yeah. where we are culturally now. It yeah. is. It is a taboo title. Mm-hmm. Um, Hannah, what about you? What, has there been a having to to break away from your history growing up in a pagan commune <laughs> and reinvent yourself? Um, I think the. The thing I had to do was, it was less about breaking away and more about making sure that my family was on board with the fact that the things I was doing were difficult for me Mm. and, um, and require or not required, but that I desired some degree of acknowledgement for that. Like Santa Barbara's whole thing is um, be cool, don't react. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember when our actually her one of her first girlfriends is my best friend from birth, who also worked on the movie. But when mm-hmm. she came out to me when she was twelve, um, I think what I said was 
okay, I don't care. <laughs> Which I thought was accepting yeah. and what she would want to hear. But years later, um, when we finally unpacked that moment, realized that what she needed to hear was good for you. Oh, my God, that must be so huge. I'm proud of you. Um, what do you need from me in in the way of support so that you can make this? And And I don't think anyone in our community really acknowledged um, that it might be a big deal for her because yeah. for us, um, we don't care. We accept everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't see gender. <laughs> and so we post everything. Yeah. Which is not true. Um, we just actually weren't, weren't looking at it. Um, we were accepting without understanding. Mm. And, and in some cases not accepting. And in some I, cases I, not accepting. I dated that, that wonderful person and went into that community and did not always feel accepted. Mm-hmm. And how did the, can we go back to this? But the, your best friend since birth is your first girlfriend. One of is my it? first girlfriends, like really my first love, like why my first I think like big serious relationship in my in my twenties, and is still one of my dear friends. We we both love her. Her name is Sophia. She's great, and she worked. Yeah, she worked as Hannah's assistant um, on the film, which was a real treat because we both have a really rich history with her in obviously different ways. Yeah, a lot of notes to compare. Yes. And mm-hmm. You know, I had felt before I developed a friendship with her that I was a bad queer woman because I feel like the cliche is all um, queer women stay friends with their exes. And I was like, I don't. I burn every single bridge. <laughs> burn them all down. But then I got, Sophia's the one that I've kept like a family member. Um but yeah, so I dated her because I met her through Hannah. So Hannah and I were working in a restaurant together. So after you realized, oh, Jen is not uh, interested in my friend's <laughs> boyfriend. Yes. Oh, you're gay, meet my friend. I got friend. somebody for you. Basically. <laughs> and it worked. Yeah. You guys will like each other. <laughs> we did. Um, and they did. They were both in relationships. They did feel a little guilty about that. That well, That is true. That's an unfortunate um, truth. Oh, not still friends with that person, I take you it. You know what? Re- recently I've reconnected yeah. with that person. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Growth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the film is interesting because in some ways it is such a, like, an una- to me, it felt like an unapologetically queer film. In the, I mean, first of all, that Judith Light is in it, and just by default <laughs> it's in the LGBTQ category mm-hmm, just right. because she's our patron saint. But, um, but also that the first scene is you, Hannah, walking home from a date – and that if you don't know anything about the film, you may think, oh, this is a rom-com. And then right. the word, this is about this relationship, or if not this one, then the next one. And then it turns out to be something else entirely. Mm-hmm. So what what was the decision to take that approach? We, I think we knew that Rachel was gay four years into the process, five years into the process. Yeah. Um, for a while, she was the one having an affair with the young woman's therapist. Mm. Uh, and it just didn't... The young woman. <laughs> the young person. Um, Dodge. I don't know. People don't know her name. It's true. Dodge is the character's oh. name. Oh, you're right. Um, and when we realized that that didn't make sense for Rachel's character, um, but we knew that she was... She was stopping herself from getting into romantic relationships in favor of taking care of her family. Um as soon as we considered her sexuality, we were like, oh, duh, Rachel's obviously queer. Mm-hmm. Because of what we knew of her at that time, and also I think because the Ger- the Gurner family lives in such 
an anachronistic Petri dish. They live in such a mausoleum of another time that giving Rachel an otherness that felt rooted in contemporary culture, if she was going to survive in it, it had to be rooted in contemporary culture, mm-hmm. Yeah, was a good sort of leg out the window. You know, like she had one little limb out the window there. But then opening with that scene, the decision to open with the scene was just to set Rachel up as someone who can't, um, can't be in a relationship. Yeah. Because she can't be honest about how fucked up her life is and these other obligations she has. Um, she's got her hands full. She's got her hands full. They're very full. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, tell people where they can find you. I'm still really currently living out of my Prius. <laughs> Great. I'm actually not kidding. I'm about to move. Um, but <laughs> we, you can find um, me and Hannah, you can find uh, on Instagram. If you want to see too many videos of the meals that we eat. And you can see the film um, here in Los Angeles at the Landmark Theater as of August 30th. It'll also be at Lemley. At Lemley. A couple of the Lemley theaters. And then more in L.A. It'll be in 100 theaters. 100 theaters in the U.S. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So we come out in New York and L.A. on the 30th. Yes. And then um, after that, we'll roll out the others. So hopefully. Come see it. Come see it before you know it. it. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having this is a us. Delight. Yeah, we thank really you. went deep. I gotta do the tissue. <laughs>